Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing writer on CIO.com, where I cover boardroom strategies and uh, technology leadership. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the kind and generous support of my friends at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on YouTube on our Tech Talk channel. And we welcome all of our viewers who are joining us here today to send in your questions, which I will happily pass along to my guest. We'll be watching for those questions and doing our best to make sure that today's guest takes a crack at them. Today's guest is Ralph Laura, who is the Senior Vice President of IT and the CIO of Lumentum. Ralph joined Lumentum in October of 2018, bringing with him three decades of IT leadership experience and digital expertise from multiple industries and major brand name companies. Based in San Jose, Lumentum designs and manufactures optical and photonic products for optical networking and laser applications worldwide. The company is a key player in the telecommunications industry with annual revenues of $1.7 billion and 5,000 employees around the world. Now, before he joined Lumentum, Ralph served as the CTO at Rodan and Fields, and before that, as CIO at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise Group and at Clorox. Earlier in his career, he held other technology leadership roles at Cisco, Symbol Technologies, and AT&T Bell Labs. For the last decade, Ralph has served on, on the board of directors for the Technology Business Management Council, which is an influential nonprofit devoted to promoting business management and uh, standards and IT business collaboration. Earlier this month, he was named as the founding chairman of the board for a newly established nonprofit called SustainableIT.org, which is devoted to advancing global sustainability through technology leaders. Regular readers of Computer World, CIO Magazine, and CIO.com will have seen Ralph quoted over the years in dozens of our stories, and he has graced many of our event stages as well, bringing along his storytelling talents and his wonderful candor as a CIO. Ralph, it's so good to have you here today. Welcome. It, it, it is great to be had. I'm All right. uh, really happy to be here. All right, good. Okay, let's jump into everybody's favorite topic, uh, the industry disruption and the effects that the pandemic have been having on all our lives. And how has that uh, been impacting Lumentum's business and your customers? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, a, a friend of mine coined my favorite phrase uh, at the beginning of kind of all this, and he called it mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, we're currently in the time of the great uncertainty. And why has, has that been true? Um, we went from the you know, two weeks to flatten the curve mm -hmm. to over two years now, mm -hmm. uh, kind of lapping our two-year anniversary when we sent everyone home, mm -hmm. uh, thinking they'd all be back in the office shortly. Uh, mm -hmm. So, boy, a lot has happened in two years. Uh, we've had to all adapt to a much more digital lifestyle. So, mm -hmm. and, not, and not just at work, but at, at home and in our personal lives, the mm -hmm. rise of uh, delivery services all over the world uh, has mm -hmm allowed people to weather that, but it also put strain on technology networks, among others. Um, we, uh, from a, a work perspective, also had to deal with technology shortages, uh, supply chain shortages and impacts. Uh, now we're dealing with things like uh, like fuel cost 
um, and yes. driving thing, things like logistics uh, and other things. So yeah, it's been a interesting time to be a leader. Yes. Um, and from a, from a perspective on Lamentum, on the one hand, we sell products that enable communications. We are a photonics company. So a lot of our products mm-hmm. are, are, using, are used in the uh, telecommunication and transportation uh, uh, industries. Um, and so we've had a high demand for many of our products, which has been mm-hmm. lovely. Uh, we've been able to meet that demand for the most part. But we've also wrestled with some significant supply chain challenges ourselves as yes. uh, factories shut down periodically for uh, because local governments have, uh, have instituted a policy or something like mm-hmm. that. It's been, it's been interesting. Well, and uh, when we talked earlier about this, uh, you made a really interesting point about the cadence of decision-making and how much yeah. that has changed for technology leaders. And it really rang a recognition bell with me because I've been hearing that expressed in one way or the other by lots of other tech leaders. Uh, tell us uh, tell us about the impact of that on you and your leadership um, at Lumentum yeah. and what sort of things actually changed that, uh, that made you, that brought about that observation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's interesting. I think we're, we've always been a, a company that prided ourselves on being kind of small enough and nimble enough to meet the needs of our customers and to be um, you know, proactive in the marketplace and other things. But um, that was a physical marketplace where most of our competition were also you know, big geographically distributed companies. So something as simple as, hey, we need an approval for a capital project, and then we're going to need to approve the purchase orders or, or other things to support that. It might take a week, a week or more to get a meeting on the calendar to get the right five executives uh, to have time to talk because mm-hmm. you know, three of them are in a plane somewhere, one of them is in the wrong time zone, another has a customer meeting, uh, and so it's really hard to get you know five people in a room together, so to speak, uh, when yeah. those are high-powered, busy executives. Well, now uh, it takes minutes to get five people in a room because they're all sitting in a room at home yeah. <laughs> at the end of a camera. And you can squeeze five or 10 minutes in to have an important conversation in between all the other important conversations, or mm-hmm. you can tack it on the morning or evening. So it's a lot easier to schedule the conversation than it used to be yep. just because of the logistics. Uh, second, I think we, we were all trying to make very informed, uh, data-driven you know, decisions around risk and other things. Mm-hmm. And I think we still do that, but I think we've, we've become a little less paralyzed by the an- an analysis. So mm-hmm. we're not asking people to go back and do another round of the analysis or go update this spreadsheet and whatnot, because we understand that if you're, if you're slow to move, then maybe um, the, the person that decided the first week mm-hmm. that we need to do, um, you know, we need to stock, uh, safety stock and inventory needs to increase because of risk, captured that stock and the people that waited two weeks to make that decision missed some of that inventory because somebody made a decision quicker than them. So our ability to make informed decisions more quickly, both because of the physical logistics and I think our, our sense of balancing risk and, and, um, and, and reward for being a, a first mover has kind of fundamentally changed in the company. Yeah. Well, and there has been, you mentioned the supply chain challenges that at pretty much every company across different industries has experienced. Um, but at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was expanding their networks and, and doing a lot of that. Those first six months were pretty crazy busy with that. But the greatest, greatest shortages right now, especially for chips, we were talking about this, that it seems to be more on lower end 
Um, Explain the impact that's been having for Lumentum. So a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the chips are really high demand and therefore in in shortages right now Mm -hmm. are some of the less expensive kind of to some degree less complicated chips that fewer and fewer people make, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, people want to make the big complex high margin chip that, you know, they can make more revenue on. So over time, many of these chips have devolved to where, you know, one or two manufacturers make 95% of the you know, chips in the world that are consumed in that category. And then what's happened is um, the demand for those chips has really spiked because those chips are used in, um, you know, to do uh, build network modules uh, uh, mm-hmm. that, that connect and enable network communication uh, largely. They're also used in the automotive supply chain. They're also used in other electronic devices. And as um, the number of chips in every car has dramatically risen, the, the number of chips being used in other applications have increased. And fr- frankly, things like um, the global rise of cryptocurrencies and the technology, the, the chips and uh, uh, compute cycles, technology consumed in the mining operations there is significant. So it put big demand on these chip manufacturers. Again, there's only a couple in the world supplying most of those chips. And then on top of that, uh, the lead time to ramp capacity, it isn't like you can just sort of throw another few workers on the line. If you've got a reactor and a set of processes, it may take years to increase volume by adding more reactor capacity. And when you can get so much by improving yield and some other things, but it's a, it's a complex problem where um, demand spikes are really difficult to fulfill against in a model where your lead time to bring on new, new capacity is, is challenged. Right. Well, one of the things that I talked about that I uh, with you earlier that I think our audience will find really interesting is how this changed your relationship and the conversations you were having with your CEO, and that that has had a, a very strong trickle-down effect through uh, into how you run IT at Lumentum. Um, that was, let's talk about things like your IT monthly planning, which used to be something fairly sacred in, in most technology leaders in your toolkit, um, and your CEO. Let, let's talk about what your CEO, how he changed your thinking on that early yeah. on, probably yeah. within the first year of the pandemic, right? Yeah, hmm. yeah. So um, one of the reasons I came to uh, Lumentum was uh, for Alan. Alan Lowe is our CEO, um, really fabulous leader, incredibly uh, experienced um, uh, in this industry um, and and also a very uh, transparent and approachable and candid leadership style, which really resonates mm-hmm. with the way I work. And, and Alan would challenge me like, um, you know, I, I know IT is really busy and we're spending lots of money and you're doing lots of projects, but like, how do I know we're working on the right projects? Yeah. And why did you do that project and not the other one? Because, mm-hmm. you know, Jason's project, is, is that more important than Misha's project? Or is that more important than, than uh, uh, Sharon's project? Mm-hmm. And, and defend to me which one is, you know, which one has the highest value? Why are we doing that? Yeah. And, and honestly, I began to realize I really couldn't give him a good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could talk about, uh, oh, this is critical for our ability to enter a new market, or this is a regulatory requirement, and therefore it's a risk we need to achieve and so on. But it was difficult for me to, in a quantitative way, sort of compare the projects. Mm-hmm. It was also very difficult to respond to the fact that IT essentially was an annual planning process. When you're a, when you're a mm-hmm. you know a, a business that, that is a, you know kind of capital intensive like manufacturing business, and you uh, are very careful about how you manage uh, um, opex you know, margins and so on, which mm-hmm. I mean, most businesses are, but certainly we are. 
um, you look very closely at your GNA costs, your SGNA costs, and mm-hmm. make sure that you're managing those in a way that are certainly supportive of the business, but also you know are controlled. And so our focus was largely on hitting a predictable set of project delivery for a very predictable cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the best way to do that is to look you know a year out and then really manage things very closely. Yeah. Well, of course, that's great until all your the entire world economy <laughs> until is it isn't inside. right. Yeah. And, and and then what do you do? Uh, and so yeah. you're making these ad hoc decisions around reprioritizing your mm-hmm. your product, your full portfolio that you spent three months, you know, getting an alignment on what you were going to do or, or not do. So it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a bunch of really co- you know challenging conversations where Alan and, and our head of sales and others were kind of saying, "Hey, what you know, this isn't working. IT needs to change the way they're working." And we tried a couple of like, oh, well, what if we you know, met with you more often and talked mm-hmm. about demand? And and it's like, well, that's fine. We can talk all we want, but it doesn't, you know, how are we changing and how are we measuring things? So yeah. kind of long story short, what we've done is we're now building, uh, we're, we're kind of mirroring the business. So the business, again, we make things. Many of those things have very long lead times. Mm-hmm. So we have an annual plan. We have a quarterly plan. Well, the business also has a, a monthly rolling demand yes. update. So we... We reforecast on a regular basis, looking at priorities, demand, supply issues, and we constantly are essentially um, uh, updating our our SNOP process, our sales and operations planning process, mm-hmm. to, to optimize for the business. Yeah. So IT needed to do the same thing, and, and boy, is that hard, right? Because yeah. we have decades of IT not doing that sort of demand sensing and demand refresh. Yeah. Um, the good news is we've, we had also begun an agile transformation, moving away from traditional delivery models to more of a scaled agile uh, methodology in the way we're delivering a lot of our projects, um, which lends itself to this idea of looking at backlog mm-hmm. and you know, using a scrum bond and picking kind of the work we're going to do this month and doing that work and so on. Mm-hmm. So we, we took that at an operational level, and then we went back to our planning process that was annual and really married the two and kind of found a happy medium. Uh, so now we're doing, a, I think, a much better job of measuring, uh, of, of uh, assessing the potential impact of projects in multiple categories. Well, mm-hmm. but where do they align to one of the, the strategic impacts, uh, our top level goals as a company? Mm-hmm. Um, second, are they, you know, how are they uh, uh, urgent and immediate need? Are they midterm need or long-term need? Mm-hmm. And then things like, um, you know, I, I, I like to team, T-shirt sizing, but it's this sort of small, medium, large uh, uh, effort and yeah. small, medium, or large impact, right? So we we didn't we wanted to get away from these complex ROI cal- calculations that take yes. that have to be four digits of you know, decimal precise, and you know everybody has to sign in blood on. And so mm-hmm. no, 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 we're looking directionally. How big is it? How yeah. big is the impact? Yeah. Um, and it's done a great job of allowing us to have really meaningful conversations across the business now mm-hmm. and to begin comparing projects across different business units or different functions mm-hmm. um, to, to, for relative value. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I would say we're probably not all the way to where we need to be, but we're certainly now doing a much more effective job at quarterly forecasting and planning. And we're having the conversation monthly and we're getting better at, re, you know, kind of ramping that demand plan on a monthly yeah. basis. And Ralph, did you find that your, your decade of service on the TBM council, the technology business management folks, were there practices and were there things that could get dusted off and help with that? Or are organizations like the TBM council also 
making big changes in the recommendations they make. This is all around running IT like a business, which, gosh, we've been talking about that for a long time. And now now you're experiencing the thrill of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 we have. Uh, so mm -hmm. yeah, yes and yes. So yes, mm -hmm. uh, the experience there has been really helpful and really fundamental. One, because there's a, a, a literally thousands, over 5,000 practitioners of TBM who are members of the council yeah. and share their insights and share what they're doing, which, Good. you know, is always, mm -hmm. always a learning process, always helpful um, to, to enhance thinking and experience. The other thing is, so, you know, TBM started out largely in the area of kind of IT chargeback and showback and transparency and building kind of service costing models and things like that. So fairly, fairly traditional approaches to to, to, to that, although it was really aligned toward this idea of value streams and understanding the value of investments. Mm -hmm. um, but increasingly with things looking at scaled agile, so um, uh, uh, the council has updated its models to look at people doing agile delivery. Mm -hmm. uh, it's updated models to, to deal with things like cloud spend, which is a Good. much more dramatic and variable spend than you know, traditional IT investment in servers and storage and, and, and so on used to be. So. Um, yeah, I think TBM has done a nice job of keeping up with the times and, in fact, driving the conversation toward you know, modern delivery models and modern value measures. Okay, excellent. Well, and I want to I move on next to what this meant for your project management office and how it runs differently. But before we do that, we have a question from our uh, listening and watching audience. To what degree are you seeing enterprises and probably other CIOs as well embracing end-to-end -end software defined networking to support these changing business needs? Has that become a much bigger deal in the last year to two years than you had seen before? Because I know you're yeah, always it, on it, top of these trends. Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, I remember decades ago mm -hmm. um, uh, where we were all moving from fixed uh, wire, uh, fixed wide area networks to uh, MPLS, uh, um, these, yeah. these networks defined by that. essentially a cloud that your mm -hmm. carrier managed for you. Um, well, I think MPLS networks have now faded. And now what most people are running is some sort of software defined infrastructure. Mm -hmm. You may have occasionally a, some physical network connectivity that is managed classically, but increasingly software defined networks are in fact they allow you to manage some of the dynamic variability of traffic. Uh, and um, they've really done a nice job of allowing us to adapt to some of the ongoing you know, kind of challenges from a cybersecurity perspective, which we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think increasingly, not only software-defined networks from a, a WAN perspective, the backbone of the corporate interconnectivity, but uh, software-defined endpoints. So it used mm -hmm. to be it was, a, you know, I'd, I'd log into my computer and then if I'm remote, I would start a VPN and I would make a tunnel back to the corporate network and I would do my work. Well, increasingly, a lot of people are using kind of zero trust model or software defined endpoint models where mm -hmm. um, it's transparent. I don't have to start a VPN. It, it, if I try to connect to an address that is inside the corporate network, mm -hmm. uh, the computer and software on that endpoint is aware and creates that secure tunnel on an application by application basis. It's not routing all the traffic from my uh, PC through the corporate network and so on, and our ability to set policy from a security perspective and information perspective on that endpoint is much more sophisticated than it ever was with a okay. kind of binary model of you know on or off with a VPN. Yeah. All right. Good. 
It was a good question and a very good answer. Thank you. Um, uh, let's circle back and talk about your PMO, your project management office. Um, I, it, you, you'd remark to me that it's really entirely different today because of the way you're measuring success is different. Were those changes to the PMO that you started making when you arrived in late 2018, or was this more in response to the new way of doing business throughout the pandemic? Yeah, I, I will say um, we start we started a while ago. Um, mm -hmm. So our PMO was a fairly traditional PMO, um, and and unfortunately, I think um, you know the focus was hey, always you you always want to have a you know straight A report card, right? You always want everything to be green because that makes yeah. people happy. Yeah. Uh, and so we spent a lot of time when I first arrived at Momentum working on the PMO as a to become more transparent. The goal mm -hmm. isn't to get a good report card. The goal is to stimulate the right conversation mm -hmm. are we do we have the right resources so in fact I, um you, you know i'm a bit of a stickler for or i like semantics mm -hmm. so we don't call our it governance team which is where pmo typically resides mm -hmm. governance we call it the it enablement organization <laughs> because if you look at the, look up the term govern in the dictionary and it's things like to throttle to slow down to limit oh, or to governor to control yeah. yeah yeah and and i don't want that mentality and so mm -hmm. our view is your, your goal isn't to limit project success your goal is to enable project success with the right resources at the right time mm -hmm. with, the, with the right information so that we can make uh, informed decisions about how we deliver yeah uh, and we've done a lot of work on that within our pmo and and, and not by we, I truly mean the PMO team. We've got a great leadership team there, mm -hmm. great PMO uh, individual contributors, and they've done a fabulous job of improving our transparency, improving how we report and what we report on, including things like uh, we have what's called an A4, uh, a, a document we created at the beginning that says, what's the expected value mm -hmm. that this will deliver? What are the changes to run rate or other things? And then we, we hold ourselves to, we won't start a project without it. And then at the end, we're doing a much better job of measuring value achieved and a feedback loop around uh, around how we do that. Yeah, uh, We're also doing a better job of having uh, not just the Steerco kind of conversations, but the entire portfolio, uh, project portfolio, we, we review within IT on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. We review with the entire uh, leadership team of the company on a quarterly basis to understand you know, 84 point some percent of projects are green and they're mm -hmm. on time on spec on budget. Others might be yellow. Well, why are they yellow? Is that, by the way, yellow is not bad. Sometimes yellow means we, we made a choice yeah. to prioritize something over something else. Right. And therefore we elected to delay a project. It's mm -hmm. okay. But we're still going to measure it based on its original uh, commit date and yeah. things like that. So much better conversation in, in, around PMO. And to the point where some of the other PMOs in the company have mm -hmm. kind of come to us and asked to use our templates and That's listen to great. our methods, which is always a, a huge. Yes. Yeah. That's actually better than straight A's on a report card. When you get yeah. when you yeah. get colleagues on the business side that are like, we think the way you're doing this could be a model and we would like to follow it. It also strikes me that it takes a lot of the politics out of the whole process because a lot of times yes. PMOs are governed by the more powerful business executives of the more revenue-producing units in a company, whatever that company is. So you end up playing a game of favorites. And yep. there's, uh, there's, I'm sure that there's no way with human beings involved that there isn't some of that somewhere. But at least this way, you've got all these different dimensions that you look at things. Well, and we, we actually try to dimensionalize the bias, if you will. Really? So there's all these objective mm -hmm. measures. And then there's a column that's sort of like, you know, the, the executive priority call. So there is a bit uh -huh. of a, 
mm-hmm. flag that a CEO can come in and say, yeah, yeah, I know what the numbers say, but this is important. We're going to do uh, it. Okay. And, and that's okay. Yep. But we're explicit about why we did it and when we did it. And that way right. we're not, you know, you're not going back and somebody's not fudging the numbers to make it look like it yep. fits just so you make the boss happy. Right, right. Well, and you mentioned something else too about that this is something that the sales team has also been trained on at Lumentum, the challenger mindset. Yeah, uh, tell yeah. us about what that is. That what you've been talking about, or is that something a little different? Yeah, it's it's, it's very much like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a little different, but but similar. So the idea, less about PMO, but more about the way we work as an IT organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the challenger mindset. It's a, it's a ter- industry uh, uh, term. Uh, we've used it to take our uh, uh, sales team uh, across that kind of training. But the idea is, uh, data has shown over time with many many companies and many relationships that people who are essentially Yes, people. They just sort of say yes to everything. They're trying to be really polite and just nice to everybody and appease everybody. Aren't looked at as highly as people who are basically honest with you and occasionally challenge you yeah. and say, you know, that's an interesting request. However, you know, I think you may want to consider this other ID because you may not be aware of this, this, and this. Or mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, obviously, it's not a, it's not a license to be a jerk, right? It's not about being. <laughs> argumentative, yep. but it's about having a creative tension and a positive tension and mm-hmm. sharing of ideas. And that, that happens in a Socratic model where there are often, you know, people kind of at odds with each other. And that yeah. ends up with a much more effective outcome than the, the kind of typical, you know, the old IT order taker kind of role. Um, right, and right. now the model is much more around, hey, how do we be an effective partner? Mm-hmm. Um, so to, uh, to make the story not too much longer, so back at, when I was at the Clorox company, mm-hmm. we coined the term. Uh, so we had a lot of uh, people, uh, uh, business relationship management, BRMs within the yep. IT uh, framework, engaging with the business. And, and we talked about the, the term I used was be a lens, not a mirror. And the explanation of that was if, I, mm. if I'm a mirror, I go and I sit across the table from the CFO and they ask mm-hmm. me to, for a bunch of stuff and I take notes uh, on my notepad and then I go mm-hmm. back and then I the joke I usually make is then, then I come back and we agree how much we're mutually going to be disappointed because we can't do it all and you know so on. Mm-hmm. But to be a lens is you know you, you take sources, multiple sources of light, multiple sources of inspiration, information, mm-hmm. and you focus those things on the problem. So I'm not just mirroring back what I'm asked for, the information I was given. I've got a breadth of of experience and knowledge. And frankly, I think this applies to some of the diversity and inclusion conversation we're having lately. Mm-hmm. Having people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, mm-hmm. different ways of thinking really can enhance your problem solving and enhance your ability to, to yeah. meet the market or meet the needs of the organization. So mm-hmm. being a lens is about applying some of that outside thinking to problems differently. And that's similar to being to, to applying the challenger mindset. Yeah. Well, and it actually ties in very well to our next question that we have. Um, but before I throw that one at you, this is also reminding me that in, a, in an almost overcorrection, a lot of IT leaders, they didn't want to be the department of no. So they became the department of yes to everybody. And that, of course, has what has that done to the workload in IT? Or what would that do to anybody's workload? So it's really nice that these different considerations are kind of normalizing all of that and actually making IT much more like what it has always wanted to be, which is a, a very strategic player in the business decisions. Uh, you know, that yeah. was never, there was never really much beyond that that was the nirvana. Um, so well, to, to, mm-hmm. to respond really quickly to that. So 
a, a good, a dear friend of mine who's a great CIO who's mm -hmm. now in a different, in a, in a built a consulting business. She was CIO for a sports, uh, a, a, a sports franchise. Mm -hmm. And she actually coined the term, I think patented it and created like hats and t-shirts. And the term was FOTSI, find a way to say yes. And that was what she was kind of teaching her team because yeah. they had an issue where they kind of weren't engaged in providing great customer service and being responsive. Mm -hmm. So, which I think is a great idea, but you can take that to the extreme. You, you don't can. want to be just, and, and um, again, mm -hmm. I really abhor the term backlog, IT backlog, because mm. there's a sense of like somehow you did something wrong. Yeah. Oh, IT, there's an IT backlog. You guys can't keep up. Yeah. Um, so I prefer the term. So I prefer to think of it as um, it's like a, it's like a household budget. We've, you've got mm -hmm. a household and say you want to you put a new roof on and maybe you want to put a pool in to enjoy the summers and you want to go on a family vacation and you mm -hmm. want to get a new car. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't do them all. So you decide what your priorities are because you have a certain amount of income and a certain amount of choices. And then you just say, well, this year we're going to do the pool and next year mm -hmm. uh, and we won't go on a vacation because we'll enjoy the pool instead. And next year we're going to do the roof and so on. And you make choices based on the situation and the income and the priorities of the family. Yeah, It's no different to business. It's, what you have is a set of business choices based on what's important to you and your affordability. And then you make those choices collectively as a team. Mm -hmm. There's no backlog. Nobody should feel guilty or bad about all the work that you want to do. Mm -hmm. That's just, those are just goals and aspirations. Yeah. Well, it reminds me a little bit too of the, the famous three-legged stool where you can have only two out of three, faster, cheaper, better. And yep. once you pick the two, you don't get the third one. Okay, well, we might want to argue with this next question then, because the question is about what do you do to create visibility for IT and its contribution to the business? We as tech people are always focused on technology and implementation, which I might take issue with that. I mean, I certainly think that's the primary focus. But how do you respond to that, Ralph? Well, um, so again, I, I used to drive me crazy back, again, back in the day, people would talk about IT not having a quote-unquote seat at the table. Oh, cool. And my flippant yep. response was usually, if you want a seat at the table, then pull up a chair. Well, bring your right. chair, and, and yes. So the idea being, mm -hmm. don't wait for an invitation. If you want a seat at the table, my experience is when you get a seat at the table by providing value. Yes. By having a reason someone would want you there, mm -hmm. to the point where at some point people look and go, hey, how come IT's not here? We really need their opinion on this. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that's when you know you, you, you are... Engaging and creating value. You're embedded. Now, yeah. The other thing is IT people are really like historically and, and, and I think statistically terrible at telling their own story. We're just really bad at marketing. Totally. Um, and so I think it's a, it's really mm -hmm. important for not, not just to the business, but for the your own employees, mm -hmm. your own organization to mm -hmm. look, to feel pride in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So we, for instance, one of the things we did this year is we created, and, I, and we, we call it our IT sizzle reel. Um, it oh, is for a, you. A, a video mm -hmm. of some of the amazing work that the team has done in the last year, the projects we've delivered, the value generated to the business. That is so smart. It was played at our sales, mm -hmm. our national sales kickoff. People were kind of blown away, found it really, uh, and again, sort of surprising, like, wow, I had no idea IT did, exactly. did all of that exactly. last year. Wow. Yeah. And it's fun to have the, the IT team is like, that's cool. Yeah. The business is like, that's interesting. And again, it's not about blowing your own horn or thumping your chest, but it's about it's about acknowledging some of the great work people are doing and the alignment and the and the impact we're having on the business. But if you don't if you don't at some point stop to blow your own horn a little bit, who else is going to? I mean, this yeah. is a yeah. 
I have an ongoing battle. Every time I try it, I talk to a CIO and I've looked at their LinkedIn profile and it looks like they maybe updated it right after they got out of high school. And, you know, I'm like, why aren't you in this? Oh, well, I'm not looking for a job right now. I don't know. It's like, no, 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 it's not about that. Yep. It's, it's actually about your, your executive presence in the world. And for IT leaders, it's their executive presence in their own businesses. Um, it, it, well, yeah. when I was at Clorox, I had a conversation with our EVP of strategy, who I reported to, uh, mm -hmm. Frank Tatasha, great leader, wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, man. And um, he, he pulled me aside and asked me, I was doing, I was speaking, you know, I was in, mm -hmm. uh, being quoted in CIO magazine. I was speaking at events yeah. and, um, and he was like, you know, like, why are you spending so much time outside the company? Like, you know, don't you have an organization to run? And I'm <laughs> like, Frank, I am running my, that's what I'm doing. He goes, what, what do you mean? I said, so listen, yeah. here we are, a 100-year-old CPG company based in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. competing for time and talent and uh, partners and engagement with vendors and others with everybody else. So why is somebody who's some great engineer fresh out of school or some mm -hmm. experienced leader going to choose to come to Clorox? Well, if, they think, if their perception is the last ad they saw on TV or that their mom has it in their laundry room. Yeah. Like what I need to do is I need them to understand we're doing innovative things. It's a mm -hmm. really cool place to work. There's neat stuff going on here. And not yeah. only for to one to for pride of employee and retention and engagement from the employee base. They love to hear the great stories in the their own media of what they're doing. Yeah. Re attracting new people and frankly attracting partners who mm -hmm. if, if I'm a startup and I'm doing some interesting technology Am I going to want to partner with kind of what's perceived as being a kind of boring old CPG company? Or yeah. do I want to partner with someone doing something innovative and sexy? Yep. Well, to the degree I can present ourselves that way, I attract more investment yes. from startups. And therefore, we, we end up with more innovation and more, more, yeah. uh, more IT. And I don't think this has ever been done, but I wish, I wish some big marketing entity would do some sort of a study about how much visibility of the CIO and talking about the innovative work going on in their technology or their digital organizations, how much that has done to attract talent. Because yeah. I don't yeah. think I've spoken to a CIO in the last probably 10 years who hasn't listed the war on talent and the need for talent and we've got to find the right talent. That's always in the top three. You know, along with cybersecurity and digital transformation, you know, those have been kind of the big three. All right, let me see. Um, we, our audience is still listening out there. Let's move into talking about your strategic technology and business priorities going forward. What would you say has shifted much higher up your list now than maybe it was six to 12 months ago? Yeah, well, obviously, um, we, we all have a lot more concern about a hybrid, remote, digital yes. uh, in the way we work. Flexibility, so, yeah. Yeah, um, it used to be, you know, um, you're worried about your conference bridge and the video mm -hmm. conferencing for those discrete video conferences you have every now and then. Now we all live there. And so <laughs> yes. it's a collaborative platform, and not just video, but the, generally the way the company collaborates and communicates and stays connected mm -hmm. uh, is important. There are a number of tools in that space, not, not just the core platform stuff. And then processes and other things around that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really become, it was, it's always been important, but boy, have the stakes gone up and as the landscape changed, has been cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. uh, you now have to, it used to be, I worried a lot about protecting the corporate network or maybe a device when it was periodically off the network. 
Now I'm worrying about securing thousands of devices in people's homes. Yes. And then I worry about the, de- the other devices on that network in that home. And how do I protect, protect the PC from the you know, webcam that may have been hacked or the you know, PS5 that may, be, uh, may, ha- may have malware on it and so mm-hmm. on. So, so zero trust and worrying about you know, kind of a different uh, a security model uh, is, is, uh, is front of mind. And now, unfortunately, with much of what's happening in, the, in, in Eastern Europe, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cyber hacking and, and, and state, state-sponsored hacking and other things are really, are really concerning. So keeping yes. a strong eye on what's happening in that space is important. Mm-hmm. And how do you go about doing that? I know that you have, and I know there's a limited amount that you can or can't say, you have the CSO reports directly to you, and you had mentioned your IT enablement efforts and I think you told me something about how you've separated some of that out so there can be more focus in the security area, kind of watching emerging tech in that area. To, uh, tell yeah. us what you can about that. Yeah, so our CISO, uh, fantastic, Amit Bhardwaj, Amit's been uh, a CISO at Lamentum. And, and speaking of, of talent, mm-hmm. I've been very pleased. And then he's uh, worked for me now in three different companies. So oh. he's had the... Um, mm-hmm. I'd say he has the poor judgment to have followed me twice to other, <laughs> and now other challenges. And now you're just fishing for a compliment there. Don't yeah, give yeah, me that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, he has fantastic CISO. And again, mm-hmm. we work really well together and understand the risk and how to approach it. Yeah. And, and not only does Amit own our cybersecurity element, um, he really, um, one of the things I've tasked him with is uh, keeping up with uh, sort of scanning technology, keeping up with startups in the security and other, other mm-hmm. spaces, Having a primary relationship with many of our venture capital uh, partners or the VC firms or PE firms that have, uh, you know, uh, startup portfolios, and will often uh, take our problem set and he'll go engage mm-hmm. with them, build agendas, and then bring, you know, uh, set up meetings where we can take the rest of the leadership team through right. some interesting work different startups are doing, or mm-hmm. the, or in many cases it's the not even a, a startup per se, but it's the thesis the venture capital firm has about a particular space. So. It's a mm-hmm. chance to share information, become educated, and stay current in what's happening in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And then, again, ideally, to partner early with some of those players, both to take advantage of some of their innovation, but also to be able to express our challenges and, and, and encourage them to work on solving those challenges within their platforms. Right, right. To have almost a, uh, an, is this an incubator-type relationship? You had mentioned that there is a Lumentum yes. Ventures. You have an entity now. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so Lamentum Ventures, Ventures is an, an entity within Lamentum that focuses on, it's led by uh, um, uh, one of our SVPs who, uh, who, who also runs our, our field sales team and some other things. Mm-hmm. And it's really focused on how do we take some great, some of the great technology and the great innovation Lamentum has built over the years and find new markets, new customers, and new ways to, to, to approach uh, to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's got a very venture mindset. Now, it's not about investing necessarily as a fund. But it's about that mindset of a of a VC and looking at those opportunities and trying to create work there. So yes. IT has essentially modeled that and done similar things. So mm-hmm. we have a bit of an, a, a, a momentum, you know, kind of IT ventures kind of model where we engage the IT organization and others within the company mm-hmm. around ideas, um, challenges they see, and opportunities. And then we're we're trying to um, you know create a bit of an incubator to go solve those problems, test those uh, solutions out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do what I, I think IT does really well is I, I, I coined the term again a, a decade or so ago. People used to talk about shadow IT, the, mm. 
you know, the stuff that the business is doing under, under the, the shadow without IT seeing. And mm-hmm. I coined the term shallow IT. <laughs> and I, I embraced this. I said, you know, shadow IT sounds like a thing, you know, it's in, in the shadows and hidden. Yeah, it sounds sneaky. I looked at it, you know, the business mm-hmm. is doing really smart things. They're mm-hmm. finding, they have problems and they're solving that problem in the best way they can. Yeah. And so an example, again, while I was at Clorox, they partnered with a guy, Grant Lamontagne was the head of sales and Grant's sales team had, there were about 30 people in the sales team who um, we found were taking files out of our, on our you know, SharePoint sales portal mm-hmm. and dragging them out every week into a, you know, a cloud-based storage platform and then using that on their mobile devices to, to talk to customers. And so we uh-huh. engaged with them. And at first they were mm-hmm. like, ooh, oh, are we in trouble? You know, did we do something <laughs> wrong? And we're like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. we, we like what you've done. Yeah. Because what, what they've done is they figured out a problem. Hey, I've got 15 minutes with a store manager while I'm walking down an aisle, mm-hmm. or I've got five minutes. I'm not going to stop and open up my laptop and boot it up and log into VPN and bring up the SharePoint portal and show you a file, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to open up my mobile. I'm going to pull up the file that's right there because I prepped for the meeting and it's cached there and I'm going to open it and we're going to have a conversation in mm. those five minutes that's meaningful. Yeah. Well, I can't do that. And well, so we didn't know. I too was delivering what we thought was the working solution. Yeah. And so... Hey, you guys have identified, not only did you identify a problem, you've identified a solution to go with it and you've proven its value. Look, it works. People Mm -hmm. will use it and it works. So what IT does is IT then did what we do really well. We take shallow and go deep. Hey, that poor salesperson taking 40 files a week and syncing them. I can do that. I can solve that for you. I'll build an automated sync. We'll cache it. I can also do what IT does really well. I can make sure it's regulatory compliant, that it's secure, that we're not sharing inappropriate information, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So IT says, great, you found the the nugget. Now let me refine that and create a service that everybody can benefit from. That to me is an idea of what shallow IT means. Well, I remember uh, somebody years ago said that there was shadow innovation was another yeah. way to look at it. Yeah. And I'm sure it was a CIO who told me that. And that was a CIO who's paying attention to what's happening on the business side and then stepping in and saying, oh, cool. You thought of a way to do this. Let us help you do it better. So that's that's actually great. Um, when I had asked you about uh, business and tech priorities that had moved further up your list, and one of the things you also mentioned that I think we could take a stop on and, and talk a little bit about how in the past we may have taken employee productivity for granted and that now it's a much more strategic focus. And tell us what you've done about that at Lumentum, because I understand you're about to do your first global survey about IT services. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, yeah, we, we you know, we, the assumption was everybody's working while you're at the office, you're productive, mm-hmm. you're doing things. Well, it, at first, when we shifted to remote work, well, all that meant was we spent more time on, you know, video conferences, yes. uh, glued to our chairs in our home offices. And then even worse, it was you were glued to your chair for the eight or 10 hours of your, your primary time zone. And then you were also for another five or six hours for Europe or Asia or some other time zone you're operating in. Mm-hmm. And everybody was getting pretty tired and pretty burned out pretty quickly. It was clear the tools were essentially trying to model a meeting, you know, online, and it just wasn't getting it all done. So changing the way you look at uh, both how you organize work, how you organize meetings and other things, but changing the nature of how you interact um, to to focus more on uh, the outcome of what you're looking for, as opposed to the activity of, you know, meeting. Mm -hmm. And we, for instance, in two years, this is the third or fourth time the executive leadership has rebuilt the executive calendar around when, how often we meet, 
what we meet for, who we meet with, mm -hmm. and the topics covered. Because we're continuing to try to innovate around how do we make sure we're most effectively spending the executive time mm -hmm. uh, together and apart uh, to drive productivity across the business. And then we cascade that across the teams as well. And yeah, one of the things, um, we do an annual employee survey around engagement and other things from a corporate culture perspective. Sure. But it's been a while since we've done an IT survey of, hey, are, are the tools we're providing effective? Mm -hmm. Or what, what, what do you like? What don't you like? And not just the tools, but the processes and the, how I get support, how I provision things and so on. Yeah. So we're really trying to go deep and get some insight as to what's working and not so we can continue to do the same and adapt IT's approach mm -hmm. to delivering tools, services, and technology to better enable productivity across the workforce. Okay, great. That makes sense. It sounds like another way to kind of dredge out some of that potential for shadow innovation. You know, yeah, if there's I, a I problem spent here. A lot mm -hmm. of team, a lot of time with our team before we released the survey, mm -hmm. explaining that feedback is a gift, and that we we don't yeah. we in many ways we don't want a survey to come back and say it's all green. Yeah, like I really want the survey to come back with some raw feedback so that we understand where there's opportunity and we can go do something about it. Yes, yes, that's a great idea. Um, let's pivot over and talk about your data strategy. Because um, every time I ask someone about, say, their cloud strategy, they'll say, well, cloud is wonderful, it's an enabling platform, but what really matters is what we're doing with data analysis and how yeah. we are. And what is the phrase you told me? You said um, you, have a, you want everyone in the organization to treat data like milk, the fresher yeah. the better. Okay. So what so, have so, you changed there and what are you doing? Yeah, so, two, so twofold. So I, so. Mm -hmm. On the, on the cloud comment, again, I like to play with words. And um, you know, some of the people ask, what's your cloud strategy? My flippant response is usually, I don't, mm -hmm. I, have a, I don't have one. I have a business strategy and the cloud is a solution, a tool that can help achieve that strategy at times. Yeah. So I don't have a, a strategy that says cloud is good and on-prem is bad. Mm -hmm. That's not true all the time. So for instance, right. if you run a factory, edge computing is really important because yes. I need things close and yep. so on. So, but, but to answer your question about data, um, so yeah, uh, the challenge is we have more and more data. Most companies have plenty of data. It's not lack of <laughs> yeah. data that's your problem. Mm -hmm. It's uh, finding, uh, it's it's the, you know, the old edge of about a needle in a haystack. Uh, uh, that would be easy. Our problem, we have a needle in a stack full of needles, right? It's hard to find <laughs> the right one. Um, and so- That sounds painful, Ralph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so often we've got data mm -hmm. we generated, say from our transactional systems, mm -hmm. and that's updated on a cadence, a weekly, monthly, quarterly cadence. Um, uh, we have data that we've generated from a manufacturing floor, which is real time coming off of uh, 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 systems and, and, and testers and so on. We have data that's coming from our customers and we have data coming from our suppliers and merging mm -hmm. and marrying all that data, harmonizing that data so that you've got key indexes that you can use to align and search on is challenging. But, the, but among all of that, with big data and data lakes and data warehouses, I can solve much of that. The problem then is timeliness. So yeah. my monthly, my weekly data coming out of a, you know, a, a transactional system like ERP, my daily data from the factory floor, and then my you know, weekly data I might get from a contract manufacturer, they may not harmonize on which day they all got updated. By the time they get into the front end, they're filtered and processed and stored in a table. And you know, it may be two or three weeks old. Mm -hmm. Now I'm making decisions based on stale milk. Um, what I really want is fresh data, the fresher, the better. And so we've deployed a, a strategy that the, the, the term's been coined a 
a lake house. So it's a combination of a data lake and a data warehouse, right? A data okay. warehouse is really good at structured data with relationships and mm -hmm. building, you know, uh, 3D cubes and so on. And a lake is often this unstructured pool of data without a lot of semantics on top of it. So we want the best of both. I want mm -hmm. the structured data to be able to do really deep analysis and reporting right. and, and understanding those, those relationships. I also want the freshest data I can get. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to do it twice. So we use, a, um, we're actually using a, a technology from a company called Databricks that, that allows us to create a combination data warehouse, data lake, hmm. a lake house, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so that the, the data loading is happening almost real time and people that really care about freshness can access that data directly with our, our, our visualization layer. Okay. And then the, that same data is processed and stored in a, in a longer term way so that I can go back and do long term analysis, yeah. analysis on it later without having to have a separate copy. Can you point out something that has made a very big dis difference to the business or that the CEO has been thrilled to see where um, a result of the lake house, you know, a party out on the porch of the lake house uh, about yeah, something yeah. that was done? Well, so one use case is we've got an interesting, uh, so we have a wafer fab in, in Japan mm -hmm. um, that, that makes make, makes chips. Um, and the data that they use and the way their system had historically been built um, did not use an order, did not align ordinal. So, so the XY axis of say a wafer mm -hmm. uh, was not consistent. It's not the same XY axis uh, where the, where the mm -hmm. origin point was not placed in the same point as a wafer say generated in our in our UK facility. So if you begin to compare data and understand, hey, do we have a, how can we get better yield or whatever? The first thing you'd have to do is some engineer would have to spend hours remapping the coordinates and normalizing the data and trying to figure out, you know, which, what, you mm. know, to see if I've got commonality or, or a repeating pattern or whatnot. But one, so one of the things we've done is we've normalized that. So we now have the same uh, ordinate, the same basis of, of beginning on every wafer globally. So now it's much easier to do comparison across that entire data set because that data, I don't have a lag where I've got to process a translate and then analyze. It's all kind of real time and normalized across that data because I've harmonized that data set mm -hmm. in the, in the data lake when it, when it, or in the lake house when it comes in. Okay. And you had also, you had mentioned another example of something that has worked really well. And again, going on in one of your Japanese factories, about to show to walk up and show an idea to use your cell phone camera. Uh, talk yeah, about um, that. I thought I found that eminently understandable. It was like what a yeah, great way a, to. And one of our yeah. IT innovation ideas coming out of uh, our our team in Sagamahara, uh, uh, mm -hmm. our IT leadership team, and uh, what they observed was so that we have operators, and many of them don't speak English as a native uh, mm -hmm. first language, or maybe don't speak English at all. They're operating something on the factory floor, and they they have an idea. They notice, hey this is interesting. Mm -hmm. This is a particular challenge in this process. I have an idea how, how to make it better. Well, the way we would the, currently work is they would have to step away from the station, go to a computer terminal somewhere with a keyboard and lo you know, log mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. and then in English, type in a idea that would be submitted as a ticket and someone would go, well, so it's just the barrier to entry is so high, nobody does it. Like it just isn't done. Yeah, yeah. And the acuity of what you get is not great because you don't really know what they're talking about. You can't see it. It's just words. And mm -hmm. so, so again, uh, Nikorsan had this idea, hey, what if we put a camera, uh, they could, we could video, the person could literally on their station, kind mm -hmm. of turn, talk to the camera, show the camera, this is what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. and speak in their native language and say, here's an opportunity or here's a challenge I think we could fix. Mm -hmm. You could capture that. I can then feed that into our, our Kaizen team, our continuous improvement teams on the factory floor, 
who are who can then get, take that and use data and other things and improve that process and get you know get this uh, um, environment improved accordingly. So just a simple idea, mm-hmm. but a really powerful idea to change uh, change outcomes. Yeah, that's I thought that was uh, I thought that was very neat, especially the way I mean it overcomes several hurdles that probably in the good old days before we could meet and talk so quickly <laughs> over video conferencing, that probably would have taken months to figure out and get in place. And and it's almost immediately demonstrable this way. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, let us, let me see, uh, while we're talking about people and, and coming up with enjoyable ideas, talent acquisition strategies. That is always a very big, you know, we've, we've hit on, that's the number one in the, uh, the top three with most CIOs. What are you, are you doing anything differently to bring in talent? Or are you finding that your attrition rate is very low? I mean, how is that looking for you these days? Well, um, I mean, you're in Silicon Valley, so you've got significant competition. Yeah. Yeah. First, you're, you should focus on talent retention strategy. Like oh, how do yeah, I make yeah. The people You're I right. have yeah. happy and productive and engaged so that they stay and they tell their friends what a great place it is to work. Okay, and, and, great point. And, and yep. Tonight, right. One of the best things is to have it, you know, everybody wants to go to a, a party where everybody's happy. So we want everybody mm-hmm. to be happy at the party. <laughs> and there are a bunch of things we're doing around work life balance and empowering teams and, and a mm-hmm. number of things to kind of really keep our IT workforce energized and engaged and healthy. Uh, in, in, in the long run. Uh, on top of that, we, we have done things like many people have done. We've taken certain roles and said, you know what? These are now remote or hybrid uh, where, uh, yeah, we'd love to, you to be in the office periodically, but you don't mm-hmm. have to be. And so we can give you flexibility. Sure. Um, so many of people might be in a place in their life where, gee, I would love to go work for Momentum, but I can't because I have this, this, or that mm-hmm. that prevent, prevents me from being in San Jose five days a week. Um, and so we can... We can work around that and access essentially a larger talent pool uh, in, excuse me, in that regard. Mm-hmm. The other thing we've done is we've really tried to shape, um, give people the flexibility to do the job kind of on their time and in their way. Okay. Um, so I don't care mm-hmm. if you are a, you know, show up in the office at eight o'clock in the morning and leave at five or clock in and clock out. Um, if you work two hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon and four hours later, in the, like mm-hmm. as long as the outcome happens and the work gets done, in many cases, because we're a global company, working things through multiple time zones is actually beneficial. So mm-hmm. we've done a lot more on giving people the power to make their own life work by being flexible around how and when they work and, mm-hmm. and getting things done. Yeah, and, th- and that also means a lot of focus on culture a lot of focus on culture mm-hmm. um, and a lot of focus on culture. So we, we hire mostly for attitude, team fit, the way you think, your mindset, uh, mm-hmm. and a little bit on skills. Yeah. Because the skills are often the things I can work on. It's really hard to change someone's mindset. Yeah. Well, and that was, that echoes back to what brought you to the company in the first place because you enjoyed so much the conversations you had with the CEO. <clears throat> and also, you mentioned the head of HR was someone that you were very impressed with. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, probably the two biggest reasons I came to Lamentum were yeah. Alan and, and Sharon, who has since retired. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I was I found both of them very refreshing in that they were both very easy to read. They were who they said they were. Yeah, they spoke simply and straightforwardly. You never were guessing mm-hmm. what happened. And from an HR perspective, I found Sharon the most one of the most refreshing HR people. I'd work with yeah. because she didn't come across as a, 
HR person. She just came across as a practical business minded yeah. person who was trying to solve problems. Yes. Well, and you certainly have had, um, you've had plenty of exposure to lots of HR <laughs> yeah. in moving yeah. around through different companies. Um, let's pivot over uh, to talk a little bit about emerging tech trends that are of particular interest to you. I always poke around and find out if anybody is suddenly taken up with blockchain, and that's not something that is high on your list. Um, but And I suspect it's probably in the AI and machine learning area. But uh, yeah. tell us you know, what you watch and what you're really most interested in these days. Yeah. So um, AI and ML is very interesting. Um, I think there's this idea or a promise long-term that AI as a, as a, a utility and machine learning as a, a, a modality end up embedded in more and more things. And we use mm -hmm. them as sort of tools in our tool chest. Today, the state of the industry is largely AI and ML embedded in solutions you consume Mm -hmm. as a service. Mm -hmm. So it's somebody else is running the AI and ML and you're consuming a chat bot that helps you interact with your service desk or you're consuming, you know, uh, uh, something along those lines, right? So um, we have not, not yet in large scale are people programming their own or you know, training their own models for machine learning or AI. Some people mm -hmm. are, but in mm -hmm. large scale, you're consuming a service where somebody else has done that and you're applying that service to a business mm -hmm. process or problem. So I think the future means we're going to start seeing more and more people building their own uh, and training their own models. Mm -hmm. um, and that will change the, the shape of many platforms and, and IT organizations. And you'll have to, okay. by nature, <clears throat> have to be much closer to the data source and the, and the Right, business. right. You'll be spending um, a lot more thing, time in the lake house, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is super interesting, and we're really at the beginning of, and you're gonna see a lot of people kind of mock it and pasha it as you know, gaming and so on, is this idea of AR and VR. Um, mm. I'm not, I, I won't comment on meta and what I think about the meta mm. uh, 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 plans and landscape, but I will say um, practical applications of uh, augmented reality and virtual reality mm -hmm. in real use cases and real work and real companies delivering real value mm -hmm. are, are beginning to happen now. And I think you'll see more and more as the technology becomes affordable mm -hmm. or capable and has, has some of the characteristics that work better in a, in a you know, in an okay. enterprise environment. Um, you'll enough. see those tools brought to bear in really interesting ways to solve problems really differently. Okay. And um, one of my last questions here, I want to ask about how the sustainableit.org, how this board chairmanship came about. I understand that it's brand new. I mean, it was um, announced earlier this month. But yep. uh, what is the, give us kind of the elevator pitch on that about why you're so interested, because you have many places you could devote your time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be part of this organization. We've just begun it, as you said. It's a nonprofit. Uh, it's formed and led by a number of technology executives. And, and the common goal here is we all want to advance sustainability around the world through technology leadership. And so our mission is to do things like define sustainable transformation programs, okay. author best practices and frameworks, uh, set standards, maybe certifications in the space, mm -hmm. do education and training work, and fundamentally raise awareness for environmental and societal programs that make our organizations and make the world yeah. a more sustainable place for generations to come. Uh, so things like best practices, research and standards, global awareness, mm -hmm. community education and training, uh, and then transparency helping people um, do a better job of kind of, again, back to the idea of the data lake and normalizing that those ordinance. Mm -hmm. um, 
if I if we can get to a point where we're defining things in a similar way, using the same taxonomy, using similar approaches, we can begin to share more openly, accelerate our ability to align more effectively to some of these opportunities. And these mm-hmm. include things like sustainability in the environmental and, 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 yes. and um, uh, 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 energy sense, but also sustainability in the in the societal sense. You mm-hmm. know, are we are these the things we're doing helping or hindering society? Are, are we yeah. aware of, uh, say, in our sourcing relationships or partnering relationships? Are we working with organizations that are providing opportunity for, um, you know, for all of uh, the people of the world or, or just certain classes of people mm-hmm. and so on? Well, and it seems like it comes at a good time, too, because uh, uh, most boards of directors now um, have very high on their agenda the whole ESG area, environmental, societal, and governance. And the data that is going to be tracking that and responding to the different regulations is all clearly going to need to be managed and produced and sustained by IT. So yeah. it seems like a good yeah, time in, to do in it. Some, in some ways, the inspiration here was similar to the founding a decade ago of the TBM Council is we're mm-hmm. all out here trying to align and understand how we just better support the ESG initiatives and better support our companies and our communities. And um, instead of all figuring out in a room by ourselves, we thought it'd be better if we got together, shared that information, and then mm-hmm. told others uh, what we found. Okay. All right, good. And my very last question, uh, we've t- I feel like we've touched on this from many different angles, but if you had to sum up what the pandemic has kind of has taught you as a leader or how it has changed you as a leader, what would you say? Um, you want, I think... Uh, it's a good question. I hadn't thought about it. We hadn't prepared for that. Mm-hmm. I would say probably the most, the, the thing would be, you, to be you're more personal. Like, in yeah. fact, we just got a, uh, we do a Monday morning, you know, kind of touch base with myself and my, my mm-hmm. direct reports. And we didn't, we talked for five minutes about stuff today, Yeah. but for 25 minutes, we just talked about when I'm on the one on the weekend and kind of what's happened in your life and where mm-hmm. are you and what's, you know, kind of things. So we spend spending more time just, talking to people, mm-hmm. relating to people. Yeah. Um, it's the old adage, and you know, Tom Mendoza was a big uh, a mentor of mine and used to quote a lot, you know, people don't uh, know, care what you know until they know that you care. And mm-hmm. that, that's a big part of mm-hmm. effective leadership. Okay. Well, good. Well, I think and for a lightning round unexpected question, I think you did just great on that. Thanks so much, Ralph. <laughs> Okay, it was great having you here today. Really appreciate it. I feel like we've talked so many times over the years, and every time we talk, I learn a whole bunch of new stuff. So thanks for joining me here today. Well, thanks for having me. A true pleasure. Really yes. appreciate it. Yes. If you joined us a little bit late today, uh, do not despair. You can watch the full episode later today here on LinkedIn and also on CIO.com or on IDG's YouTube channel, which is called Tech Talk. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation today with CIO Ralph Laura of Lumentum as much as I did, and that you'll come back again in two weeks at noon Eastern on Monday, April 4th, when I'll be joined by Ken Spangler, who is the CIO of the Global Opco Technologies at FedEx. 
We really appreciate you being here with us today. And do remember to take a moment to subscribe to that IDG Tech Talk YouTube channel because you can actually see that we figured out this is number 84 of the CIO Leadership Lives we've been doing since the end of 2018. So feel free to binge your way through it if you've run out of great things to watch on Netflix. Stay well, and we'll see you here next time. Take care. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.